chapter 11 and verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks not finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A word of prayer before we uh, unpack these verses. Father, thank you for your holy word. May our hearts and minds be open to you today. May we be attentive to your voice and hear what you wish to say to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray. It's not because they they don't know how to pray or they're not familiar with prayer. Because they've grown up praying. It's part of their lives. But they've noticed something different about the way that Jesus prays. They've, they've observed him, which is what disciples did with a rabbi. They watch your rabbi and you observe them and you, you want to copy them. You want to find out what, you know, why they do what they do. And they notice something about their rabbi, Jesus, which is that he, he prays in a different way to them. They're, and, and they want to learn from him. And so they ask this question, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus, gives them what we uh, have as the Lord's Prayer. But uh, although we pray it as a, as a prayer, really what Jesus is doing is he's laying out, well, these are, these are your priorities. When you pray, this is kind of how you should pray. These are the kind of things that you should pray about. And so he lays them out. You begin by addressing God as your father. Uh, then your first priority is that his name should be hallowed, uh, that his kingdom should come, and then all these um, other things. The question that I really want to to ask first of all is when the disciples prayed this prayer and when we pray this prayer what's our expectation about when we'll see it answered what's our expectation about when we will see this prayer answered this is how Jesus taught us to pray these are the things that we should be praying for but what's our expectation about when these things will actually come to fruition so I want to go through the prayer line by line 
I just ask that question. When we make this request of God, when do we anticipate that God will answer it? I want to go backwards through the prayer, and there's a reason for for doing that. And I'm going to include the line that Luke uh, doesn't include. When Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, where he um, uh, writes down the Lord's Prayer, he includes uh, the line, deliver us from the evil one, which Luke doesn't. But I'm going to include it because it is in some versions of Luke's manuscript. And I want to start there because it's in the Lord's Prayer that we pray. Deliver us from the evil one. When we pray, uh, deliver us from evil. When do we want that prayer to be answered? How long do we want to have to wait? Um, Jesus says that the the devil is a, a thief who comes only to steal, kill and destroy. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, You have an enemy. An enemy is always snapping at your heels. An enemy whose goal is to steal, kill and destroy everything good about you. He wants to distract you from following the Lord Jesus Christ, discourage you, dissuade you. So when we pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one, when do we want that to happen? Do we want to have to wait, um, uh, you know, a week, a month, uh, sometime in the future? Or do we want to know the reality of that in our lives in the moment? Well, when I'm being assailed by the enemy and I ask God to help me, I want the help to come immediately. I want an immediate answer to that prayer. I want God to step in and deliver me. The next line, lead us not into temptation. Well, the Bible says God never leads us into temptation, but we are tempted day in, day out. I expect even today, it's not even, um, it's not even 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, but I imagine We will have been tempted already to think, say or do something that we know we shouldn't. That if we think, say or do it, we will regret it afterwards. And so Jesus says, well, ask God to help you in that. Now, when we pray, Lord, help me with my temptations that I'm facing. How long do I want to have to wait for help to come? Tomorrow, next week, next month? No, I want help to come pretty much immediately. I want the relief to come pretty much immediately. Let's go back another line. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. When we ask God to forgive us our sins, how long do you want to have to wait for forgiveness to come? When you know that you have messed up, you've got something wrong, and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please, please, will you forgive me? I know I've messed up. What Do you want to hear the Lord say, ah, well, uh, I'll, I'll think about it. Come back next week. And I'll give you my answer. No, when you ask for forgiveness, you want to receive forgiveness immediately because there is, there's nothing worse than being in a relationship that has been spoiled because you've messed up. Because you've said something that has hurt the other person or you've done something. You know you've hurt them, you've offended them, you asked them for forgiveness. You want to know that you are forgiven immediately. You want that relationship to be put right. It is the most awful feeling, as I'm sure you know, when you're in a relationship that is, it's been broken and you want it to be put right. And it's the same with, uh, with our Heavenly Father. When we mess up and we spoil our relationship, we want it to be put right as soon as possible. So when we pray, forgive us our sins, we want to know forgiveness in that moment. Next phrase, give us each day our daily bread. Well, this is pretty obvious, isn't it? If you ask the Lord for your daily bread, for what you need in that day, you don't have to wait until tomorrow for an answer to come. Uh, over the years, I've, I've um, uh, come across people numerous times who said, well, I, I, I can pray for other people, 
And I can pray for other people's needs and I can pray for the needs of the world. But I can't, I, I just, I can't ask God to meet my needs. That just seems wrong. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, why are you being so disobedient? It's in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily prayer. It's a legitimate request. God loves us and he wants to meet our daily needs. And it's okay to ask God to meet your daily needs because he cares. He cares about the details of your life. He cares that you have what you need uh, to live on. I remember many years ago, uh, we were preparing to go on holiday and we'd saved up some spending money for our holiday uh, we were going away on the Friday, and on the Monday the car had a problem, it had to go to the garage, and the bill wiped out the exact amount of money that we'd saved for our holiday. So on the Monday, suddenly we had no money for our holiday, and I thought, well, what are we going to do? So I prayed, and I said, Lord, you know your car, because uh, it was his car, because Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which means we don't own anything. We're just stewards of what gives us. So I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know your car. Uh, well, there's been a problem with it and I've had to pay a bill and the bill has wiped out uh, what we're going to have for our holiday. Can you help? That was the Monday. On the Friday, we were late leaving to go on holiday because we're always late leaving to go on holiday. I think we were supposed to leave at nine. And uh, if we aimed at nine, if we got away by 12, we were doing well. Uh, so we were still at home when the post came. And in the post was a letter from a charity that I never heard of. Never heard of it before. Never heard of it since. It was a little charity in Durham Diocese where we were. And um, the charity made grants to people on the recommendation of the bishop or the archdeacon. I had no idea that the bishop or archdeacon had put our name forward, but they had. And this letter arrived just as we were about to, um, to leave that morning. And in the letter was a cheque, and it was for the exact amount that we had had saved up as spending money for our holiday, and we had had to spend on the car. And I could tell you a zillion similar stories of how God has met our needs and has looked after us. It's a legitimate request. And obviously needs are in the moment. Give us this day our daily bread. So all of these things, I think when Jesus taught his disciples to pray them, the expectation was that they would see a pretty quick answer to their prayer. Then we go back to the next line. Your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So if all the other things that we've are in the prayer, we are expecting a more or less immediate answer, well, it's no different when we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We want to see the name of God honoured and hallowed in our lives, in our community, in our nation today. That's our longing. And we want to see God's kingdom come Today, we know that one day Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, we're going to see his kingdom fully and finally and completely established. We have that beautiful picture of God's kingdom coming in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, no more death, no more dying, no more grieving, no more tears. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. We know that one day that's how it's going to be. But Jesus prays us, encourages us to pray for God's kingdom to come now that we begin to see the coming of God's kingdom in our lives today. It's what we see in the ministry 
of Jesus, the beginning of Mark's gospel. Jesus, the first thing that Jesus says in Mark's gospel is the kingdom is near. The kingdom of God is near. It's coming. It's at the door. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says the kingdom is coming and then he preaches the kingdom, proclaims the kingdom and he demonstrates the kingdom. When you read through the Gospels, what do you see Jesus doing? He tells people about the kingdom of God and then he shows them what it looks like. Demons are cast out, the sick are healed, the outcasts are welcomed in, the guilty are forgiven. It's, it's there, it's in people's faces. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus encourages us to pray for that, that his kingdom will come, that we will see signs of the kingdom. All of these things are signposts that point us to what is to come. When someone's healed, it points us to the day when all will be healed. When demons are cast out, it points us to the day when there will be no more evil. When the outcasts are welcomed in, it points us to a God of extravagant and overwhelming Love, when someone is forgiven and comes into the kingdom, it points to the day when one day all who have accepted Jesus Christ will be in that wonderful, eternal relationship with Jesus. Uh, Eternal, going on forever and ever with nothing between us and him. So Jesus teaches us to pray for these things with an expectation that we will see them come before we go to bed tonight. Is that our expectation when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Or have we become so familiar with it that it's words that go, you know, in one ear and out the other? We've lost the sense of its meaning. This is a radical prayer, a a world-changing prayer, that we see the answers, expect to see the answers before we go to bed tonight. Our needs will have been met, our sins will have been forgiven, that we'll have been protected and defended from temptation will have been delivered from the evil that assails us even in this day. So Jesus teaches his disciples, he teaches us um, our priorities for prayer, reminds us that we pray to a father. We pray to a father who loves us, not an impersonal being, not some kind of force in the universe. We're not just um, uh, floating words into the air. We're praying to the person of God the Father. And then Jesus tells this little parable about praying boldly. He says the, the encouragement is to pray with boldness, or another translation, it's with persistence. It's a story of this guy whose um, his, his friends have come to his house, he needs bread, he hasn't got any bread. He goes to his next door neighbour, uh, knocks on the door and the neighbour says, uh, you know, I can't be bothered. I'm, I'm tucked up in bed with my kids. Don't bother me. I'm not coming down. Uh, the point of the story is not that that's what God is like, that God is reluctant to, um, you know, God goes to bed and falls asleep and is reluctant to answer our prayers. Psalm 121 says the Lord doesn't slumber or sleep. The Lord is never asleep. That's not the point of the story. The point of the parable is that we should be bold and persistent in our prayers. At the start of the service, I referenced a verse from Hebrews where the writer of the Hebrews says we should boldly come before the throne of grace. Be bold and persistent in your prayers. When you're praying for kingdom things, when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, be persistent. Keep banging on the door. 
Keep banging on the door of heaven with the things that are on your heart. Verse 9. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, look, be really intentional about the way that you pray. Be bold, be persistent and keep knocking on the door. He says the same thing six times over. If you want to make a point, that's how to make a point. Six times over. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Keep knocking on the door because you have a heavenly father who wants to give you what you need. Who hears your requests and wants to answer. Verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Well, no one in their right mind, no sensible parent is going to do that. It's obvious. If you then, though you are evil by comparison with your heavenly father, though you evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven? You have a father in heaven who loves to give us good gifts. Loves us, delights in us. Uh, you know we're um, you know we're in the run up to Christmas at the moment, and those of us with you know with children will be thinking about the presents that we want to give to our children. And I imagine that if we're anyway half decent parents, we're thinking about well, what I want to give my children a present that will put a smile on their face when they open it on Christmas Day. I want to give them a gift that will delight them. And I want to give them a gift that when they open it, they will know that their parents love them. That's what we do. It's obvious, isn't it? Well, Jesus says, that's what God is like. He's a heavenly father who delights to give us good things. And Jesus makes it specific. He says, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And it's interesting, or at least I think it's interesting, that that's the one, the one specific gift that Jesus really references. He's taught the Lord's Prayer. He's told this power about being bold and persistent. He's given this six-fold encouragement to keep banging on the door and keep asking. And then he comes in to land on this one specific request, which is that we ask our Father in heaven to give the Holy Spirit to those who Ask him, and it's worth just, um, I just want to take a few minutes just to think about, well, why is it that that's the, the specific thing that Jesus lands on, that we should ask for the Holy Spirit? Because why? Why should we, as followers of Jesus, why should we ask the Father to give us the Holy Spirit? Because surely we have the Holy Spirit already, and we have the Holy Spirit because the day when we accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to in Dweller. So we didn't actually have to ask for the Holy Spirit at all. What we did was we asked for Jesus to come into our lives as we surrendered ourselves to Jesus. And as we did that, the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. It's, it's an automatic thing. When you accept Christ, uh, you get the Holy Spirit. It's two for the price of one. Well, actually, it's three for the price of one because you get the whole Trinity. But you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. So why does Jesus give us this encouragement to ask for the Holy Spirit? Let's go to um, uh, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 3, he, he writes about um, uh, what happened when we surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and the benefit of that. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the day that you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, that's what you got. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse uh, 13. Uh, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. I sometimes think the Holy Spirit is a bit like, it's a bit like the cutlery you get in some restaurants. You know, you go to a restaurant, you sit at the table, uh, the waiter or waitress comes out and they put the cutlery on your table and you know that that is a guarantee that at some point during the evening you're going to get some food. Depending on the restaurant, it may be quite a wait. But you know, at least you've got the cutlery, there's something more coming. Uh, Paul says, well, the Holy Spirit is a bit like that. You're marked with the Holy Spirit at the moment of your conversion. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So let me just flesh this out a little bit. 26th of January, 1982, I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, Jesus, I, uh, I believe that you're, you exist. I believe you're real. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again. I know that I've sinned. I've messed up in my life. I want to follow you for the rest of my life and I surrendered my life to you here and now. I chose to follow Jesus Christ. Although actually I didn't. Because I only chose to follow Jesus Christ because he had first chosen me before the creation of the world. If you're a Christian, you may think that you chose to follow Jesus. Well, you only chose to follow him because he chose you, as Paul says, before the creation of the world. We chose it's this mystery of predestination and free will. We chose him. We chose to follow Jesus because he chose us before the creation of the world. And when we chose him because he had chosen us, he placed within us his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And in that moment, he blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So this is the, the process. We chose him. We chose Jesus because he first chose us. And in that moment of conversion, he placed his Holy Spirit within us. So why do we need to ask the Father to give us the Holy Spirit? We already have him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The moment of your conversion, he came to indwell you and to begin to transform you, to begin to transform you into the presence of Jesus Christ. Moment of conversion, it's the moment of justification. We become justified before our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us in order to sanctify us, to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the process that will go on for the rest of our lives. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's always going on in the background, in our discipleship. 
And yet, Paul, having written this, that we have this deposit guaranteeing us, he then continues to urge his readers to be filled day in, day out uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father. So Paul has said, when we came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. But now he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. And it's a, the, verse, the tense of the, verse, the verb is present continuous. It's not a one-off thing. Moment of conversion, a one-off in, in dwelling of the Holy Spirit. He comes to live. Never leaves. He comes to dwell in us. He's, he's living in us, sanctifying us, changing us. But yet Paul says that be filled. Be filled. There's a, there's a difference between these two things. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which comes at the moment of conversion, and being filled day in, day out. Being filled regularly through our Christian discipleship. It's a bit like... Uh, a gas boiler. Uh, you light the you light the pilot light. The pilot light is always lit, but you heat the house by turning up the gas and filling the thing with with heat and with power. And that seems to be what Paul is describing here. He's saying, uh, when you came to Christ, the pilot light was lit, but now you need to keep turning the flames up. You need to be filled. And it's interesting that he uses this um, comparison with getting drunk on wine. He says, don't get drunk on wine, that's bad. It leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why does he sort of contrast and compare these two things? Well, it's because when you're filled with the Spirit, it's a, it's a similar kind of thing. When you get drunk on, on wine, there's often a, uh, a physical manifestation. There's often a, a feeling of a feeling of joy. There's often a feeling of peace. But it's a bad source to get your peace and joy from. Uh, getting drunk on wine, getting drunk on anything, uh, it's generally not good news. Paul says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he contr- compares these two things because often when the Spirit fills us, our experience is just an overwhelming sense of God's peace, an overwhelming sense of God's love. Sometimes there are physical manifestations to being filled with the Spirit. I've known lots of people over the years so filled with the Spirit that it was almost as if they were drunk. I remember sometimes, uh, some years at, at New Wine, people being so filled with the Spirit that they had to be carried back to their tents because they were so overcome and empowered with a sense of God's Holy Spirit. That's why Paul uses this comparison because he says actually the two experiences can look similar but they are profoundly different they are profoundly different he says be filled with the spirit be empowered with the spirit as disciples of Jesus Christ we have the spirit dwelling within us but we need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, I think, why Jesus commends to his disciples. He says, God has good gifts to give to you. And in your daily walk with him in this life, the best gift 
that the Father can give you is the gift, the filling of his Holy Spirit. Why? Well, it takes us back to where we started. Because where we started was with Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And how does God's kingdom come? How does God's kingdom come in this world? Those things that we thought about, the demonstration of the extravagant, overwhelming love of God in the world. Uh, Casting out of demons, people being released from evil, sick being healed. uh, People who are filled with guilt and shame, finding forgiveness and reconciliation with God. How does that happen? Does it happen if the church does nothing? Or does it happen through the church? Do those things happen through the church? Does the kingdom of God happen through the church? Well, it should do. God's kingdom comes through the activity of the church. And what is the church? Well, it's simply a community of people. It's a community of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. God's kingdom comes through us. It's extended through us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a conduit for the kingdom of God to flow into this world. And how is that going to happen? Well, it's only going to happen as we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us and emboldens us and equips us. That's how the kingdom of God comes. And Paul knew that in his own experience. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It describes what he was like when he came to them. He says, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. Uh, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear. Hard to kind of reconcile that description with uh, with the Paul that we write about, you know, we write about his courage and his bravery. And his, but he says, this is his assessment of himself. I came with weakness and fear, with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Beg to disagree. I think most of his words were wise and persuasive, but this is his assessment. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's people's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says... Paul knows in his own mind, he says, the only reason these churches have been established is because when I went, I didn't go in my own strength. I went in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says the same thing uh, to the church at Thessalonica. He says, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4, we, uh, we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, uh, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Paul knows without a doubt in his ministry that um, there's this this combination of uh, his gifts of, of eloquence and of speaking and of debating. But he knows that without the power of the Holy Spirit, um, he's nothing. He knows without the power of the Holy Spirit, he would be ineffective. He knows when he's gone to these places and has begun to proclaim the kingdom of God, that proclamation has been followed with a demonstration. 
A demonstration of the power of God in him and through him. And as people see the signs of the kingdom, so it awakens them to consider the claims of the kingdom. Paul knows these two things go hand in hand. And uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he's ineffective. And so I think Paul is, in his own life and in his own discipleship, in his daily prayers, he's saying, Father, give me your Holy Spirit. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need the empowering of your Holy Spirit before I walk out of the door this morning so that I can build your kingdom, so that I can be a conduit for your kingdom. How much more does your father know how to give good gifts to his children? How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I want us to be encouraged this morning to be renewed in our praying of the Lord's Prayer, that we pray this prayer with boldness and with persistence. In these days, we pray with boldness and persistence that God's name would be honoured in our culture and in our society. We pray with boldness and persistence that God's kingdom would come. But we recognise that if we pray that prayer with boldness and persistence, we have to be prepared to be the ones through whom it is answered. That God's kingdom comes through his people. I kind of, I sort of have an excitement at the moment and a kind of sense that in these days of lockdown and restriction, God is stirring his people. He's awakening his people. I always have a sense of us being on the starting blocks again. That when the restrictions are lifted, the church will be in the starting blocks, ready to kind of explode out of the starting blocks, blocks with a fresh anointing and a fresh empowering of God's Holy Spirit to reach a world that is as desperate and in need as it ever has been. And I want to be a part of that. So my prayer for myself this morning, my prayer for all of us, is that God would fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that right now before we come to a closing um, song in a few in a few moments. We're just going to pray. And we're going to pray, Father, give us your Holy Spirit because we need you. And wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, I just encourage you to just hold your hands out, close your eyes and simply pray, Father, give me your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're a good father. Thank you that you have Good gifts for your children. And you give us good gifts, not simply for our own benefit, but in order that we might be a blessing to others, in order that we might be empowered to build your kingdom in this world. So, Father, send your Holy Spirit. Fill us, anoint us. Empower us, embolden us, fill us afresh in these days. Awaken us, awaken your church by your Holy Spirit.